This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a very special guest in segment two, or a very special occasion. We should skip right to the fact that today is the 50th anniversary of the Space Age. 50 years ago today, October 4th, 1957, the Soviet Union launched the world's first artificial satellite. It was called Sputnik, and afterwards, nothing was ever quite the same in either the USSR or the US of A. In our second segment today, we'll be talking about that event with Matthew Brzezinski, who is a former Moscow correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. He's reported extensively on homeland security issues for the New York Times Magazine and other publications. By the way, I understand his uncle is Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was America's national security advisor under President Jimmy Carter. Matthew Brzezinski's book, Red Moon Rising, Sputnik, and the Hidden Rivalries that Ignited the Space Age, is one heck of a good read, and we're keen to talk with him about his book and what happened 50 years ago today. And in our third segment today, we're going to speak with our aviation correspondent, Vladimir Zarevika, about a hair-raising episode, which actually has been reported on on the internet. Uh, something that happened 13 months ago to Vlado that I feel fairly certain you will find to be a compelling tale. So stay tuned for that. I'd like to talk about uh, this date in history, of course. So a couple other events that took place on October 4th. In this case, in 1582, Pope Gregory XIII proclaims the new style, or Gregorian calendar, would go into effect with a 10-day adjustment. That year, the day after October 4th, was reckoned as October 15th. It would take centuries for most of the world to recognize the change. And two years after Sputnik, October 4th, 1959, the Soviet Union scored another first in space with Luna 3. It was the first space probe to circle the moon and sent back pictures of the previously unseen far side of the moon. And no, Pink Floyd notwithstanding, there is no dark side of the moon. Just about every point on the lunar surface does see day and night. It just takes 28 days for it to cycle through that, uh, that passage, whereas, of course, we spin on our axis every 24 hours. Well, technically every 23 hours and 56 minutes, but we'll, we'll save that discussion for another day. Our quote of the day, oddly enough, comes from pioneering TV evangelist Rex Humbert, who passed away some days back. Humbert's use of television helped him create one of the first mega-churches in America, which featured, among other things, a hydraulic stage and a 100-foot-tall cross twinkling with red, white, and blue lights. Rex once declared, What America needs is old-fashioned, holy ghost, God-sent, soul-saving, devil-hating revival. And no, we're not at all sure that that is what America needs, but you have to admit it's a colorful quote. And although we don't agree with his style of uh, TV Pentecostal evangelism, we're going to actually give him a second quote of the day, because Humbert also remarked in the early 1970s in regards to preaching about political issues, if Jesus were preaching today, he'd never get into politics. Our quip of the day is attributed to the legendary actor Maurice Chevalier, who reportedly once said, many a man has fallen in love with a girl in light so dim he would not have chosen a suit by it. 
And our news flash of the day, and I, and I believe we reported on this previously, comes from a study conducted by UCLA's Department of Psychiatry, which revealed that the kind of a face a woman finds attractive on a man can differ depending on where she is during her menstrual cycle. The study noted, for example, that if she is ovulating, she's attracted to men with rugged and masculine features. However, if she is menopausal or menstruating, she tends to be more attracted to a man with duct tape over his mouth and a spear lodged in his forehead while he is on fire. Uh, They've noted at UCLA that uh, no further studies are expected. Actually, that, of course, was our joke of the day. Our statistic of the day was reported by the New York Times, which reported that 12% of Americans who receive text message ads on their mobile phones actually respond to them. Hard to believe. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for Broadened Horizons. After the Caucasian culture warrior Bill O'Reilly visited Sylvia's, a famous Harlem soul food restaurant. Apparently, Mr. O'Reilly was stunned by the civilized behavior of the largely black clientele. There wasn't one person in Sylvia's screaming, MFR, I want some more iced tea, marveled the talk show host. I guess the good news is Bill's getting out more. And yes, we, we do think that's a racist remark. It was, uh, conversely, a bad week for seeing what this baby can do after an employee of a British luxury car rental firm took a Porsche out for a spin and was clocked by police at 172 miles an hour. Tim Brady, 33, now holds the record for the highest speed ever recorded by the police, a distinction that cost him his job and landed him in jail for 10 weeks. And last week was kind of an ugly week for Belgium. After a disgruntled citizen put the nondescript Western European nation up for sale on eBay, apparently in protest at the ongoing power struggle between Belgium's French and Dutch-speaking political factions, Bidding for Belgium had reached a respectable $14 million when eBay canceled the auction. Anyway, we hope you caught the Ken Burns uh, special on KVIE this last week, The War. It was, it was just, Ken Burns is a national treasure. We will uh, we'll be talking about, uh, about that special in the future. We also plan to bring our media correspondent, Gary Chu, back on the program to talk about the other excellent documentary that uh, we took in this week, In the Shadow of the Moon, which is currently playing at the Crest. Really, really compelling documentary. Yeah, don't watch a whole lot of television, but did catch some interesting things on the tube. This last week, a program where Robert Ballard went out and found John F. Kennedy's PT-109. We talked a couple weeks back about uh, some of the Solomon Islanders who helped rescue uh, Lieutenant Kennedy. And it was interesting to, to contemplate, uh, you know, again, that uh, in the old days, at least back in World War II, 
even the uh, the sons of rich men still served in the military. They didn't get uh, didn't skate out on a national guard duty like uh, some other presidents we could mention. And and I was horrified to note on uh, on the military channel their version of events that transpired in Grenada seemed to have very little correspondence to the real events that transpired. I mean, I'm sure this comes as no surprise. But I was struck by the reality as portrayed on the military-industrial complex channel uh, versus that of a woman sitting next to me on a plane as we laid over briefly in Grenada as I was flying between Barbados and uh, Tobago a few years back. Well, actually, it was 1983, I believe. According to the military channel, a Marxist extremist government had taken over Grenada and uh, the med students there, American med students, were fearing for their lives. That's why we went in. In fact, the med students were baffled by the invasion. This woman described to me laying in a lounge chair on the beach as an armed American soldier came by and warned her not to go swimming in the surf. Why, she asked. Well, they may have mined the waters, said the soldier. And in fact, none of the beaches in this uh, tropical paradise had in fact been mined. We'll have to have uh, have a talk about the the military-industrial complex channel. And uh, speaking of reporting and misreporting about military actions, how about this Washington Post a story from last week? Apparently the U.S. military has been setting bait for insurgents. Apparently weapons-making materials have been scattered about in Iraq, and when Iraqis pick them up, they're shot. This tactic came to light after three snipers were accused of planting evidence on Iraqis they had killed. Documents showed the sniper had been ordered to bait and kill. Critics say the tactic puts, puts innocent civilians at risk since they often scavenge for weapons and electronics. And it doesn't seem like a good way to win the hearts and minds of Iraqis to us. Well, I think it's time we hear from our old friend Will Durst. Thanks, Doug. And today I want to talk about the clandestine convention of a controlling cadre of conservative Christian captains, a bunch of religious right-wing nutjobs is what I'm saying, and their threat to run from the GOP like ducks from an alligator the size of a Buick if Rudy Giuliani is nominated for president. Oh, sure, they have their reasons, like his courting of the pro-choice, pro-gay rights, pro-gun control wing of the Republican Party, for one, and either the fact that he's been photographed wearing a dress more often than Hillary, or that most of his family, including both ex-wives, are campaigning for other people, might be another. At a meeting in Salt Lake City, where else, you thought Vegas, maybe? The family values posers privately decided they would rather support an albino platypus with hands than Mr. Giuliani. And since white Protestant evangelicals are a third of the Republican voting electorate in early primary states like Iowa and South Carolina, they think they got the weight to frighten other Republican supporters and went so far as to warn GOP leadership that they will form their own party if Giuliani gets the nomination. (laughs) Scary. You might think this is one of those cut-off-your-nose-despite-your-face kind of deals. But conservatives still blame Ross Perot for giving the 92 election to Bill Clinton, which in those kinds of circles is like handing the keys of your soul to Satan for a package of Twinkies. If they do form a third party, I wonder what they'll call it. God's party is a bit grandiose, if you ask me. The everybody should live like we think they should live party is probably too long. Hey, I got the perfect name. The only problem is, I think Nazi party is already taken. For Radio Parallax, 
I'm Will Durst. How about this item from the Gossip File? Apparently a couple weeks back, Sally Field uh, won an Emmy for something. I don't know whatever they give Emmys for. She won some Emmy, and the Fox Network cut off her rambling acceptance speech as she launched into an anti-war statement. Dedicating her Best Actress trophy to all the mothers in the world waiting for their children to come home from war, Field said, If mothers ruled the world, there would be no... Censors cut out the rest of the sentence. Goddamn wars in the first place. And here's an item we like. Adam Cohn writing in the New York Times reporting on Idaho Senator Larry Craig's effort to have his guilty plea for soliciting sex in a public men's room undone. Cohn noted, in Congress, Craig has rubber-stamped the Bush administration's appointment of Supreme Court and other federal judges who have disdain for civil liberties and who are strikingly unmoved by claims of injustice. Evidently, on the day he returned to the Senate, Craig voted to block court access for accused terrorists now sitting in Guantanamo. Yet as he now fights to clear his name, Craig is crying that his rights were trampled upon. All right, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's talk about what happened 50 years ago today when the Soviet Union launched Sputnik. Back in the U.S., back in the U.S., back. Well, the Jolly Way girls really 